Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Lorea Gaston is the founder of the nonprofit Lunch On Me, an organization dedicated to bringing organic, healthy food and holistic healing to those experiencing homelessness, which we actually profiled Lorea in a documentary here at MVG a couple years ago. She's spoken at our Revitalize event, and now she's the author of an incredible new book titled Love Without Reason. She is a really special human being and it's an honor to have here back on the podcast. Lorea, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jason. You know, every time I see you, I get really happy because <laughs> I love the Mind Body Green family. So thank you. Well, we love you and all the great work you do. And so we're going to start there with the work you do and Lunch on Me. So for those listening who are unfamiliar with Lunch on Me, can you talk about the organization and the important work you're doing there. So Lunch on Me is an organization that focuses on organic plant-based foods for the homeless and foster youth. We've expanded our brand of love to holistic modalities from Reiki, breathwork, yoga. Our entire focus is to create access to mind, body, spirit, wellness for everyone, regardless of circumstance. We believe that power is in numbers and we have to advocate and introduce and bring resources to these communities. And so our focus uh, started on Skid Row and now it's expanded due to COVID, but our first focus was the homeless community and foster youth. So I'm I'm gonna give our listeners some perspective on how big the problem of homelessness is, is in LA. So LA has the highest chronic homeless population in the USA one third, one third of all homeless are children, are children. A third of all homeless are children under the age of 18. In LA County, there's about 65,000 students without homes. So with all that said, in your opinion, what's the biggest misconception we have when it comes to homelessness? Well, I I think there's a lot of ignorance around it, right? Because there's such a divide within the homeless and housed community. And we often, I've noticed that people always say they either connect to the homeless community or the youth. They don't realize they're one and the same. And that, like you said, one third of the community, those were kids that we let slip between the cracks that become chronically homeless adults. And a lot of times we think that people have made bad decisions and that's what's landed them there. And I think that really gets in the way of us being of service to help, to lift up, to provide opportunities. And that's been the biggest thing that gets in our way because there are so many children within the system, foster care, that never even had a chance. They didn't have a chance. If you don't have a community, we all need that. If you don't have a community and support, you will go nowhere but the streets. There's nowhere else to go. There aren't enough resources. There aren't enough people showing up. And I think that really prevents us. We see a middle-aged, elderly, and we always create these narratives that they did something wrong and not that our system needs to be fixed. And so it sounds like, and if you think about the, the foster care system, these are kids who didn't have parents, didn't have a home, and really weren't set up to succeed, set up, set up in a, a family where there's love 
And I'm not knocking the foster care system. I know that there are a lot of people trying to do that and trying to help and are good people, but they're not set up in a way for success like most of us are who are just born into a home, whether it's one parent or two parents or a family or something. And they don't get a fair shake. A hundred percent. And I think that a lot of times we don't realize all of us need guidance and we all need handouts to elevate this idea of, and a handout is just a blessing, something that you're given that you might not have necessarily earned, but someone was gracious enough to see your potential or to want to help you and and see you win. And that doesn't happen. 50% of foster kids before they turn 18 will be homeless in six months. 50%, only 3% even make it to college. Not to say, I'm not saying that college is the answer out, but what I'm saying is for 97% of kids not to be able to get a higher education, that shows that there's not a lot of guidance there, there's not a lot of support there. The numbers the numbers answer those things. So I, I know this is a big question, it's a complicated issue, but how, how do we do this better? It seems like we're not, as a society in LA, things aren't getting better. What are we doing wrong? How do, how do we right the ship when it comes to homelessness? I think we have to start with how we view what we're seeing. I think it starts with being empty. I always tell people, like, instead of having these prejudgments and these decisions on who these people are, we can show up by just being kind. It starts with that kindness and that grace of, I don't know what happened to you, but to get here, you must not have been loved well. And that's where I always start, to have that empathy. Like, we must reset how we're seeing and viewing things and how we're reaching out. And I think that if we can get to a place of empathy for all, not a select few, not have that having that reserved for just our families and our tribes, but really look at people and, and recognize that there's pain in these spaces and people are hurting and we need to have more remorse. And I think that it starts with taking away judgment because for some reason, when we start to judge these things, then we decide that we're not going to create space of love. We're not going to create space of empathy because we've created a story. So that small change will change how we're showing up and approaching the people within our communities, within our world. So it's the perfect segue to your book. The, the title is a great title, Love Without Reason. And it seems like a message we all need to hear right now. Instead of love without reason, it seems like there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of division. And a lot of canceling, if you will, uh, but but not as much love, not as much healing, not as much uniting. And how do we get better as a society at love, at healing, at giving? I, I think we have to start with our definition of love. What I'm learning most is what love has been to people and what people view love is are so separate. We romanticize this thing. We don't ever make it tangible. We don't create ways that seem realistic. So love might, we all have a different, unique experience of it, but we have to recognize in order to be more loving, we have to first define what that looks like and not perpetuating whatever love's been to us because it can be a lot of things, but saying, okay, I want love to be this. And in order for it to be this, I have to show up as that. And that changes things. We have to start with our definition. When I started Love Without Reason, I had to define that. What did that mean? It couldn't, I didn't want to romanticize it. And for me, the definition of Love Without Reason is to love with no attachment to the outcome, but to love for love's sake and nothing else. And that was the expression. That was how I articulate it. And I use that as my root on how I would show up. And all of us individually, 
because our experiences are so different with love, we get to decide what we want it to be. And once we decide what we want it to be, if it's far removed from what it's been to us, we create a roadmap to go from what it's been to where we want it to be. So we have to take love in not a passive accidental way, but a deliberate way, an intentional way, a curated way. So if we can get to that, that I think that would help us in assisting in our change and bringing more love. And what about forgiveness? What about healing? What about unity? We, we do live in a world that's pretty divided right now, for better or for worse. I think for worse. Yeah. How, how do we? How do you think about that? Well, I think that we experience ranges of emotions, right? Like, I don't look at love as fluff or romanticize it. I think it's realistic to understand that we go to different places that might contradict the expression of love. I think what we have to recognize is if we are ang angry, if we are hurt, if we feel pain and resentment, we have to recognize anything outside of love is not sustainable. So we can't stay there too long. I don't think we should ignore it. I think we should work through it. And that's recognize where you're at, but understand that can't be the destination. You have to go from wherever you're at emotionally and always return to love. Always get to a roadmap back to that space. And that's the important part that sometimes people forget. They think that you can't be both, but you can be angry and move towards love. You can feel divided and move towards unity. Well, the things that are connected to love and expression, like forgiveness and unity, that doesn't mean you didn't feel resentment or pain or disappointment. It just means you have to figure out a way to go from that space because it's not sustainable for your soul and spirit. It will not serve you for long. So we have to know that the only thing that will fill up our cup or change things is to move back towards love. 100% agreed. Well said. You, you just you can't run on anger forever. <laughs> And no. look, anger, it's like, I think you, you, you can't run away from your feelings. You need to acknowledge them and they're real and yeah. feelings like anger, fear, resentment can, can be fuel for good, fuel for love, yes. but they're not fuel that can sustain themselves. Exactly. Because well, it's just, it's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for anyone else. No one. So it's like, don't ignore it, but we have to move through it. Yes. To work. Don't steep in that. The only thing I, and I, I talk about that in the book, the only thing I feel like we steepen is love. Love is a discipline and a steeping. That's where we have to sit. So I'm curious, do you have an exercise when you're just really pissed off or you're really having a bad day or so, someone just does not do right by you and you're mm -hmm. just pissed? Like, how do you, do you have an exercise or something you go to? We're like, all right, this is, I'm angry as hell right now, but this mm -hmm. is how I'm going to get back to, to love. Or what does that look like for you? It's so funny because I was just talking about that earlier today. Yes, I think the accountability of I always recognize where I'm at and when I'm being impatient. You know, that's something that I'm really working on. My two themes right now is like I'm working on patience and I'm working on forgiveness. Those are my two things, but like in all areas. And so what I have to do is what I've learned, my what helps is I learn not to be so reactive. When I feel those energies, I'm okay with experiencing them. The one thing I've had to learn is just because I feel it doesn't mean I need to show it because that energy exudes and other people inherit that energy. So a lot of times I take it in and I, I first, and I sit with myself and I make myself transmuted. It's no one's responsibility. Even if the person has played a part in that, it's no one's responsibility than mine. And that's what I'm working on again. I'm, I have not mastered that. I'm in the middle of like really making that my next discipline. So I sit, I take a second, I take a breath, and then I think about what the person's doing 
and I recognize why do I feel the way I do. I like to get to the root of those feelings. It's never what's just in front of me, right? Like it's never just that one moment. If you're upset, maybe three or four things happen that day. And that's when, you know, it's spilled over. And I never want to place energy into spaces that it wasn't even connected to. So I take a second and then I remind myself, what are the great things that have happened today? What are the moments the person in front of me that's making me upset? When have they made me happy? I, I have my right hand man is Venus. We work together every single day. I, I see her more than any person in the world. So like anytime you're working with someone, there's always going to be these range of emotions you feel. And what I learned is I always lean towards what are all the great things? Because nine times out of 10, love has always been bigger than the problem. And love is so present in the people in front of me. I pull on that. We're, we should have moments. We're going to have challenging moments. We need things that, that contrast the love or we wouldn't put such a value on it or the peace. So I, I realize that it's only my responsibility and how I react. And it's my job. Again, that's alchemy too. It's my job to take whatever I have, recognize it, and recognize it's not going to serve the space. And it's actually going to create more harm than good exuding that on another person. So I constantly, and sometimes I don't get it right. And I go back and I apologize. When I don't get it right, the most powerful thing I can do is recognition and saying I'm sorry. And recognizing what I've done wrong. I was not my best today. I need to be better. I will be better. Can you communicate, even asking other people, is there a better way that you would have liked me to handle this? Is there things that I could have done better? Like, that open dialogue also helps. And that's what I do, especially when I get it wrong. When I get it right, I'm like, yes, I did good today. But when I don't, I have to go back to the person. I have to apologize. I have to ask what are better ways. Because sometimes we don't know. Sometimes other people can even give us that advice. But we have to be open and vulnerable to receive it. So you mentioned energy and something you talk about in the book, which I love, you call energy exchange. So can you talk a little bit about energy exchange? What is it and, and what can we do better in our daily energy exchanges we have in, in real life? I think that when I think about energy exchange, I think about there's always two people. There's always dynamics. Both people bring energies into environments. A lot of people aren't aware of the energy they're bringing into the spaces that they're going to. Whether it's going into a coffee shop and being impatient because you're late for work and you're trying to grab your coffee and you're bringing that energy. Anyone you interact with, you're having an exchange with them. Whether their energy is high and positive and your energy is low. It's really taking accountability for the energy you're holding and you're bringing into environments. When we do that, then we have a chance to, one, be aware of what we're doing, how we're showing up. And that's the biggest thing is how we're showing up in the world. All of us feel energy. We have these names, we have empaths, all these different people that are, no, we're all sensitive. Some address it more than others, but we all understand vibes and energies. And if we can see them on other people, we have to look at our own and say, what am I bringing to environments? And that also coming from that space, I've learned to really fine tune my energy so that when I'm showing up for people, I'm bringing more love and gifts into spaces than I am taking depleting. That's again, that goes back into like the internal dialogue, whatever you're having inside. It's that's before it shows up on the outside, it's festers inside. And I think that's why meditation and grounding and centering is the same thing. Realistically, you're literally taking authority over your energy and placing it in the spaces that you want to. And that's what the energy exchange is about is recognizing two people are always 
going to create an energy. You only bring 50% of that. And you have to know the other person does too. We're influenced by each other's energy and we can also lift someone else's energy up. And, and that's what the energy exchange is. So some great tips on owning your energy, if you will. But as you said, it's just 50% of the equation. What do you do when you're walking into a situation when you're dealing with an energy vampire or someone who's just like visibly angry or frustrated or you're walking into that? What do you do? I recognize the energy. I don't inherit it. And I think that's the dialogue that has to happen energetically. Regardless of if the person is energy vampire, they're only 50% of the energy. You are the other 50%. So you decide what you want to do. And a lot of times what I do is when I, I recognize those energies, I acknowledge where someone's at. And if I know that I'm the most aware one, then I take on the responsibility of, wait, I can change these things because of my awareness. It doesn't have to go this way. That person doesn't have to be energetically a vampire. Sometimes it's through grace and love. There's so many times that when people have been unlovable and I've showed up, and not met them where they were at, they rose to the occasion and they let it go. There's so much power in that. Again, that goes back to the love, the idea that other energies and emotions aren't sustainable. But love always will yield great results. And so that's what I do when I'm dealing with energy vampires. I address it. I say, what are you going through today? You know, I address <laughs> it. Are you okay? What happened? Do you need a hug? Like, those are small things. And I tell you, that just being open and embracing is so much more powerful than shutting down and neglecting and avoiding. It changes that person. That transmutes the energy. That's not just inside of you, it's on the outside too. And that's what I do. I come from the space of, you can't take from me something I haven't given you. So even an energy vampire, you can't take from me unless I've allowed you to. And I have to meet you where you're at energetically. I have to exchange in that space. I don't allow that. I say, hey, I'm coming from a place of love and I need you to to meet me where I'm at. So there's a field, I will meet you there. <laughs> again, we're gonna go to a space of higher energy. And again, that comes with having authority over that space. We can be better than this. It can be better than this. And it starts with us showing up in that awareness and acting it out. It's funny, So, someone, I, I love everything you said. And to, just to add, someone once told me, instead of in a situation like that, don't come at it with your, your head and breathing through your nose and your mouth, but like try to come at it through your, your body and your diaphragm and like sort of just use your energy in the middle of your body and concentrate breathing using your diaphragm more than coming at it through your head as a way to like control your somewhat of physiological response to like someone who's just like, ready to explode. No, that's true. That's true because I feel like when people do get to that space, it's so logic and perception based. There's, it's like the feelings are disconnected. Yeah. So I agree with that. That makes sense to me because when I think about it, when people are in their head, I definitely sit in my heart yeah. <laughs> like when they're in that. So when you say that a hundred percent is right. So I've tried it. I'm not perfect at this at all. I've got a lot of work to do because it's hard. Uh, yeah. It's all hard. But so I'm going to, I want to come back to the work you do. It's important work. There are food deserts. They're real. Homelessness is real. And there are a lot of great people out there who want to help, who want to give, yeah. who want to volunteer, but they get overwhelmed. They get overwhelmed by choice, what to do, how much to give. And so you have this concept, which I love called micro gestures and you talk about the power of micro gestures. So can you talk a little bit about micro gestures for us? 
Yes. Um, one thing I think about is when I wrote about micro gestures, my idea and concept was we don't need to have some huge life altering shift to show up for the world. We need to see the small missed opportunities in our daily life. And that's the micro being macro is knowing that nothing has to shift outside of your interactions within your daily life. And it's small things. We get overwhelmed by the problems. And that's the thing. The, the state of the world is no one person's problem to solve. It's all of our responsibility. And that's why it's a micro gesture. It's all of us showing up, doing our part, and things will cancel out themselves. We are missing the opportunities that are small, that yield big impacts. And it is the energy exchange showing up, being present, being kind. I tell people all the time, I'm in Los Angeles, the overwhelming, if I look left or right, I can be overwhelmed. But the reason I'm not is because I'm empowered by the small things I'm doing. I'm not just, I'm not changing the world as a whole. I'm changing my corner of it. And that's the difference. You can be empowered by knowing you're doing something, anything, but it's hard to be empowered and it's easy to be overwhelmed if we're frozen, if we're not doing anything towards something better. It's a potluck. No one person should make the feast. Everyone should bring their special dish. You work with your real estate, you work with what you have, and you show up in that space. If it's, I bring up coffee all the time because I drink, I'm drinking coffee now. I, if someone's behind me, I'll turn around every time I go to a coffee shop and I'm like, hey, can I get your coffee too? Put your order on my tab. And it's something so small, but I do that. I visit coffee shops four or five times a week. That's four or five people I've reached out to that I wouldn't have had I had not thought about a micro gesture. That adds up energetically that adds up and it's small things that's what the micro gesture is finding small ways to curate loving experiences within your daily interactions and so when you think of micro gesture and you know interaction we may have with someone who's homeless what are things that if someone's walking by someone who's homeless whether they are asking for food or asking for money or they're asking for nothing they're just sitting there Energetically, like what are a couple things someone can do? The first thing I do, and I, I think language is key, right? Because sometimes people don't know what to say. The first thing I say is if it's like next to a coffee shop or if it's next to a gas station, I'll say, hey, love, I'm going inside. Can I get you something? It's just that need, that care. Anyone in our normal life, if someone goes to the store at your household and then you say, hey, do you want something? You normalize the idea of just being caring. It's just you're taking what you do with your family and your tribe and you're bringing it to strangers, different interactions. I bring small water bottles in my car for people who live in cities that you have to drive, granola bars in my purse. I always have like one or two granola bars in my purse just because it's the thought of, hey, love, are you hungry? I have an extra granola bar. It's something so small. $5, I leave five, $5 bills in my wallet because sometimes you're not by a food place, sometimes, but you can still be intentional. Hey, I hope this can help you for later. Here's $5, this is what I had in my bag. But I put it in my bag with the intention that I'm gonna help someone wherever I'm at. These are small things we can all do. A smile, seeing someone, acknowledging them, asking them if they're okay. I see people, we all are sensitive energy. I see people who you can tell have had a hard day and I ask them, are you okay? Is there something I can do to help you? What's your name? These are small things and it shifts rooms. It shifts dialogue. It restores humanity. Don't underestimate the power of a smile. Yes, 100%. And These so, are micro gestures. Yeah. And you've worked on Skid Row for years now. And yeah. you talk about this in the book. You talk about some of your life lessons 
from working on Skid Row. Can you share a few of them with us? Oh my God, yes. One of the things, the biggest thing I learned on Skid Row was when people aren't their best, to still give them grace. No place in the world had taught me that than Skid Row because the homeless community is the most mistreated. Like they are so mistreated on a daily basis. And I know because I stayed on Skid Row for 43 days in a tent. I experienced what it was like to be homeless for 43 consecutive days. And that was the most disheartening position I had ever been in. I was so hurt just by how our house community, how we, how we're showing up for people hurting and suffering. And they had showed me grace when people get it wrong. Sometimes people volunteer, sometimes they're mean and patient towards people and they're still kind and they're hurt. They're without resources, they're hungry. Whether it's food or love, they're hungry. And they're still kind and they still hold a place in their heart that humanity that, that they, they look for those micro gestures. They're actually looking for moments to brighten their day. Why we take for granted those things. I've watched them look for the, the silver lining, wanting people to be good. That's one thing. And, and the other big thing I learned from Skid Row was when people aren't their best, they say, I'm sorry. They're, you know, you deal with mental health. I've had people, it wasn't their best day. So they've been more impatient with me than normal. The difference is Every time someone has done something, they have come back and apologized. I have never seen that anywhere else to the point where I'm like, I can't get my family to apologize. And everyone's saying sorry. There's someone that's like, they'll say sorry. Oh, my God, I rushed today. Like, I had to go to an appointment. But I'm sorry that I didn't stay longer. Just the accountability and awareness, I learned, it made me change. Because I realized, like, how am I taking these things for granted? How am I not looking for the small things to change today. Why don't I recognize that there are no bad days? If you had a bad day, you weren't looking hard enough. Something else I think is important is is you talk about lessons from Skid Row and we talked about misconceptions earlier. What I think is really inspiring is you have some real life case studies of people who've ended up there. I'll use Kevin, for example, if you want to talk about him or someone else comes to mind, where where people fell on bad luck or who, who knows what the circumstances were, but they ended up homeless and they turn it around and I, I think that's a misconception too it's there are a lot of people who flirt with homelessness and they're good people yeah. they're going through some heavy stuff but they want to get out of it and they do get out of it so can you maybe yeah. maybe it's kevin or someone else yeah, maybe share a little love, bit about i love kevin he was at the bodega a couple of days ago kevin is someone that i had met on Skid Row, you guys had, he had the pleasure of coming and experiencing Revitalize and speaking. And Kevin is someone that was on Skid Row. I would see him every day. I would feed him. This was during the time when we first started our program. So we were serving food at two in the morning. We didn't really have a choice. We had no skin in the game. So we didn't have, we didn't get to call our schedule. So basically the grocery store said, you can come recover food when we're closed. And this is like 11 midnight. So we're serving food two in the morning for the first two years. And Kevin was up two, three in the morning every day. And he just thought I was the most insane thing ever because he's like, why is this girl up in the middle of the night every day giving us hot food? And basically I had been feeding him. He'd never really speak a lot. He'd come to our events. He was very quiet. He disappeared. And I was really wondering where he went and had left. Then maybe a year later, he shows up. He shows up. He's not on Skid Row anymore. He turned his life around and he had a job. And basically he had said that 
the way we loved him that made him say that one day I was going to get my life back and repay these girls because we had been doing it so consistently showing up and it's so beautiful now Kevin he just got a new car like his life is so different a nice car I'm like Kevin you got a newer car than me like he has a nice car He's got a great job. I spent, he, he threw a birthday celebration for his mother and I got to go to it. And his just life, he's back. He's in the house community. He's no longer on Skid Row. And it literally took consistent acts of just love, micro gestures, small things. His life turned around by someone caring enough, us caring enough to just bring him a hot meal. We never told him to change. We never, you know, and, and his life is different. So I, in, in hearing that story and hearing you speak, I can't help but think, okay, sure, I understand people need food to survive. And I'm curious yeah. how much of it is you're bringing healthy, organic food to these people versus I'm showing up for these people and caring yeah. for them. And is it yeah. is it 80% you and your organization showing up and saying, we care and we're here for you and the food is just kind of gravy? Like yeah. what, what, did you ever think about that? Like how oh, much is the food? 100%. How much is the love? A hundred percent. I think love is obviously in the details. So our, the integrity of the food we're bringing, there's love in every part of it. And I think that's the difference. It's not about hunger because these people have gone without food, but love gone when your soul is hungry, when your heart is hungry, that is what's not sustainable. We can all fast. We can all do that. And I know that it's the love that we're bringing. It's obvious, it's unmatched because it's really about showing up for people because we want to. We feel that we have more love to give and there are people who could use it. And that's it. And I believe more than anything, it's never been about the food. And I had to learn that, it took me a while. I thought it was the grand gestures. I thought it was, we were bringing yoga and fine dining chefs and we were curating these beautiful experiences. And what I learned was, when you're sick, a home-cooked meal and a hug feels so much better. It's the energy exchange. It's the love that's been brought. And I believe it's all love. And I think that they see it in the food. I think that it's visual. It's tangible. It's all of those things. It was a consistency. People will show up for a holiday. People aren't going to show up like we show up. People aren't going to show up at 2 o'clock in the morning on Skid Row for a year and a half, six days a week. Those are things that you can't even... You can't even debate what's love and they see it and they know it. And I believe all of it is love. And I think that's where it's coming from. It is that energy. It's not just about the food. The food helps and the food is wonderful. And visually you see the love in the food, but it's beyond that. It's the hug. It's the unity. It's the past, the judgment. It's I see you and I know we can all be better than this. So I'm going to show you a better version of this. Amen. So, you know, in a world that can seem pretty dark these days, you say, keep choosing the light. So yeah. how do we all keep choosing the light when we don't want to? Oh, of course. There's moments where it's like, I want a moment where I can just, you know, be different. This is the time to fall apart. What I learned is no matter where you look, you're going to find dark and light. But I say keep choosing the light because that is, again, the only sustainable thing. That's the only thing that will fill your cup. My grandmother used to say to me, there are no bad days. If you had a bad day, you didn't look hard enough. And choose the light because that's what we are. That's what we're made of. We're made of that love. We're made of that light. And again, it's a choice. Whatever you choose, whether it's light or dark, we have to recognize we are choosing that. 
So choose wisely. Choose wisely. And that's why I choose the light. Because nothing feels better than that to me. Especially on these dark days. Nothing feels better than that. So in closing, first of all, everyone pick up the book, Love Without Reason. And, Thank you. you know, how, how, can we, how can we help? Well, if someone's interested in helping Lunch on Me, how, how can we help? How can we get involved? There's four ways. I always tell people, you can have all four, you can have three, you can have one. But whichever you want to contribute, it's time, money, food, or talent. Whatever you have. Be creative with your gifts. All of them matter. We need them all. So whichever one you can contribute. If you have time, give us your time. If you have money and don't have time, contribute monthly. Our donations start at $10 a month. If you have a gift, a talent that could be used at the nonprofit, whether it's art or it's administrative skills, we look at it as like all these things are valuable. And if you have food, if you're a grocer, if you own a brand or a product, give your gift. Give what you're contributing to the world. We have a market as well. For brands we work with, like Health Aid, they pledge every week. They deliver free kombuchas, 100 kombuchas every week for us to sell for $2 for the community. It's the only store where all of our brands allow our price point to be under $5 regardless of what it is. We contribute in creative ways. Let's be creative of how we're showing up. It doesn't have to be just the traditional sense. You decide where your superpower is and give it to someone else. Let someone be empowered by it and it not be connected to maybe our careers or our money or in our business, but just wanting to help. Whichever way you can contribute. I love it. Larea, thank you so much for all the incredible work you are doing in the world. Always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you, my body green. I love all of you so much. (laughs) We love you too. (laughs) Thank you so much.